Well, you know, a couple weeks ago, I celebrated 19 years as a disciple of Jesus. And, you know, I had some time to think about those 19 years, right? And I had a lot of great just moments in those 19 years as a disciple. I started dating. I got married uh, to Kelly. There's the same, the same person. Um, ended up having two kids, uh, two boys whom I love very, very much. You know, got to move here to um, Hampton Roads to be with you, but to also be close to my own family. You know, and then got to have my grandmother move from Los Angeles here with us as well. And so it's just been a really great 19 years. Then, you know, not even talking about all the great things that I've seen God do in our own lives, in our own home, and all the great, you know, times and memories and friends that I've been able to have in that 19 years. But then, of course, if you flip to the other side, right, in 19 years, you're going to deal with some issues. Everything's not just going to be great. You know, there's been some suffering in that 19 years. There's been some hard times. You know, I look back and you know, I've had two friends commit suicide in that 19 years, whom I grew up with. Those were hard times. Yeah. Wow. I had a really close friend who was um, like a father to me, passed away from cancer, and I got to watch it and be there. That was a really hard time. You know, within my marriage, I've had some really hard times. What? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Very difficult times, times of suffering. And I will say, probably nine out of ten of those were my own fault. (laughs) Thank you, Kelly. (laughs) Suffering continues. You know, my boys have even had challenges in there. For both of them, we've had serious health issues um, along the way that have been a huge hardship and trial. You know, to try to even pray through that, wrestle through that. You know, and today we're going to be talking about suffering. Calm down. Everybody's all excited. I know. Just calm it down a little bit. joyful about this one. Um... You know, and we're going to look into the idea of suffering. You know, and recently, for me, I kind of wanted to give uh, a little bit of a background of something that I've been struggling with and dealing with suffering in my own life. And my hope and prayer is that is through this, us talking about this, and we are going to look at scriptures, amen, um, is that you guys will be able to relate in some way. Because I, I do know that all of us have suffered at one point in time. We have had those times where it's just difficult to see the point. Yeah. You know, for myself, um, uh, amen. Um, I was diagnosed with bipolar depression about two years ago. Wow. And for those of you who don't know what it is, it's... Um, 
it's a fun diagnosis. Yeah, for someone else. You know, it's, it's, it's like you have these um, ups and downs in your life. And you're kind of, for, for me, like, the ups are great. They're amazing. You feel like you're on top of the world. Like you're flying. And for me, uh, I end up making just really rash decisions. I ended up buying four dirt bikes within one month, right? It's the challenges in our marriage. Of course, my boys loved it because I bought them one each. And they're like, this is the best ever. Thanks, Dad. Wasn't even their birthday. It's just because. So there's these ups, you know, that you have. And my brain's not really calculating all the things that I'm doing. I'm just feeling great. But then, um, of course, you have the other side of it. Where I, I, I'm, I'm down super low. Super low. And it's kind of a hard thing to try to describe to people. It's, it's, it's like I don't want to get up and leave my house. And like I know that sounds like, well, Jeff, stop being lazy. Trust me, I've had those thoughts too, okay? So don't like feel bad about that. Um, you can judge me. And... But two years ago, it hit its really its lowest point that I've ever had. You know, um, almost two years to the day, close about that. Um, you know, it's the holiday time, and it 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 got to a point where I didn't um, I didn't want to get up and even play with my kids during the holidays. Right? And like, I know for some of you, you're kind of like, well, that's not that big of a deal. But it's like, this is supposed to be like the happiest time. Yeah. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, I, I, don't, I don't want to get up. In fact, I'm so frustrated and angry about everything. And, I, and you get paranoid as well. It just kind of runs in your head just this idea that everybody's out to get you. And you can't shake these thoughts. You can't get rid of them. And I would pray and pray. and I would do all these different things. I'd talk about them. And it just, I couldn't shake them. And these thoughts would lead me down some really dark paths. Very dark paths. You know, and I would read the Psalms even. You know, in Psalms 59, we don't have to turn there. Um, where, you know... David talks about how there are these enemies surrounding him. And he's begging God to save him. Okay. And then you look down a little further. He talks about how God is going to protect him. And how God comes in and ends up saving him. And I remember reading these psalms thinking, you know what? I'm going to get inspired by these psalms. And I'm gonna, it's going to lift my spirits. But all I remember thinking was, God's not saving me. God's not coming after me. He's not trying to help me through this. And I just grew more and more frustrated. More and more angry. It got to the point where Kelly um, and my mom had to have a little talk with me and say, you got to go see somebody. This is not, this is not you. You know, I ended up, it's funny how the, medical system works, you call up the doctor and you say, hey, I need to 
see a, a psychologist and they say, well, the next appointment is two months from now. Yeah. It's like, well, what is that? Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's hard enough to make this phone call, let alone you make me wait 60 days. Um, and I remember I waited that period and I was ready to go and type the address into my Google Maps. Headed out the door, was like, I'm gonna get there 15 minutes early because I always tell you to fill out that stack of you know, paperwork and you're just like, why isn't this digital yet? And you know, it's a whole thing. <laughs> it's like, why can't you just scan my license and call it a day? You know where I live. Um, anyways, so I punch it in. It brings me to this building. I'm looking around for the office. I can't find the office. Google Maps led me to the wrong spot. So I call the doctor and I'm like, hey, I'm on the other side of Virginia Beach. I'll be there in 20 minutes. And they're like, well, if you really hurry up, you can be here and we'll hold your spot. I get there, I'm like five minutes, and I walk up there and they're like, oh, I'm sorry. You're a little too late. And I'm like, are you, are you serious? I'm like, I've been going through all of this and this felt like it was gonna be the solution. I felt like I was gonna walk in there and say, hey, this is what's wrong with you, here's some medicine, you're gonna be feeling better about life. And instead, I was like, are you serious? You're just turning me away. I remember I was so mad, I'll confess to you guys, a fit of rage, I literally walked through the stairwell and punched the wall as hard as I could. There's a nice little fist print uh, there. In case, you know, for me as a reminder when I go back. Um, But I really felt like there was no rescue for me. I felt like I was just by myself. You know, I was able to go and get on the meds that I needed. And even that itself, it's, it's been two years and I've, I feel like I'm kind of on the right ones now. I don't know. And I began to wrestle with this idea of suffering. Like, why does this happen? Why do I have this? What's the point of me suffering? Well, we're going we're gonna to get to that. Trust me. You're jumping ahead there, Stu. We're going to get there. You know, it's even hard for me to um, accept. I was in the doctor's about... Two months ago, and the doctor literally had to tell me, you have a disease. If you had um, whatever, you would end up taking medicine. And that's your life. This is who you are. This is your life. Take the medicine. And even that itself, and when it's something, I'm like, jeez. That's a lot. For me to try to figure out why, why is this happening? You know, when I know I'm not by myself here when it comes to suffering. Amen? Yeah. You know, and I know that suffering too is um, subjective. Right? Yeah. Suffering is still the same whether it's huge or small. Right. Let's go to Acts chapter 23. We're going to talk about this idea of yeah. suffering. And Stu, you're going to get your answers. P.S. I don't share all this stuff so you guys feel bad for me, okay? Come on, I'm still normal. <laughs> kind of. All right, here we go. 
In verse 12, let's start there. You know, previous, we've seen that Paul has been um, arrested in Jerusalem. He's been brought before the um, Sanhedrin. And they, a whole big um, uproar and the city happens. Basically, they don't know what's going on to the point where the commander has to step in and takes Paul um, into custody. We're going to pick up right here, verse 12. It says... The next morning, some Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. More than 40 men were involved in this plot. They went to the chief priests and the elders and said, we have taken a solemn oath not to eat anything until we have killed Paul. Now then, you and the Sanhedrin petition the commander to bring him before you. On the pretext of wanting more accurate information about his case. We are ready to kill him before he gets here. But when the son of Paul's sister heard of this plot, he went into the barracks and told Paul. Then Paul called one of the centurions centurions and said, take this young man to the commander. He has something to tell him. So he took him to the commander. The centurion said, Paul, the prisoner, sent for me and asked me to bring this young man to you because he has something to tell you. The commander took the young man by the hand, drew him um, aside and asked, what is it that you want to tell me? He said, some Jews have um, agreed to ask you to bring Paul before the Sanhedrin tomorrow on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about him. Don't give in to them. Because more than 40 of them are waiting in ambush for him. They have taken an oath not to eat or drink until they've killed him. They're waiting now, waiting for your consent on their request. The commander dismissed the young man with this warning. Don't tell anyone that you have reported this to me. Then he called two of the centurions and ordered them, Get ready a detachment of 200 soldiers. 17 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at 9 tonight. Provide horses for Paul so that he may be taken safely to the governor feelings. He wrote a letter as follows. Claudius Lysias to the excellent to the to his excellency governor Felix. Greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and they were about to kill him. But I have come with my troops and rescued him. Oh, that's such a great guy. For I had learned that he was a Roman citizen. I want to know why they are um, accusing him. So I brought him here to the Sanhedrin. I found that the accusations had to do with questions um, about their law. But there was no charge against him that deserved death or imprisonment. When I was informed of a plot to be carried out against this man, against the man, I sent him to you at once. I also ordered that his uh, accusers to present to you their case against him. So the soldiers carrying out the orders took Paul and them during the night and brought him as far as Antipartus. The next day they let the cavalry go on with him. While they uh, returned to the barracks. When the cavalry arrived at Caesarea, they delivered the letter to the governor. 
and handed Paul over to him. The governor read the letter and asked what providence he was from. Learning that he was from Sicily, uh, Cilicia, he said, I will hear your case when your um, accusers get here. And he ordered that Paul be kept under guard in Herod's palace. You know, Paul's suffering, we get to have a little bit of a glimpse here. And we know as we've made our way through the books of Acts, the book of Acts, that this isn't the first time. But here, it's a little different. We have 40 individuals who literally said, I'm not going to eat. I don't know how long they were planning on that. It seems like it was just one day, so... You know, good on them for not eating for one day. But of course, we know that he escapes. And I don't know if they ended up keeping it. But basically, to put it bluntly, he has terrorists after him. Not just any terrorists, but terrorists that have actually been successful in wanting to kill someone. This is the situation that Paul has walked into. And he has a rough couple of days. You know, they just, they come up with this plot that we're going to try to ask him to come to the Sanhedrin. And on his way, we're going to ambush him, we're going to find him, and we're going to kill him. That's our plan. And of course, we see that his nephew finds out about it, talks to the commander there. And they're able to have a detachment, I don't know if you counted it up, but 270 armed individuals. Clearly, they felt like they needed 270 armed individuals. Showed how dangerous those 40 guys were. And then we see Paul being shipped off to Caesarea. And as in the next couple weeks, we'll go on and figure out exactly what happens to him there. But sometimes, if you're like me when I read this, I think that Paul is some type of superhero. Right. right? That he just kind of, there's these sufferings and he's like, yes, bring it on. I'm willing to take anything. But in fact, we see in the previous verse there in um, 11 that Jesus himself has to tell him to take courage. Mm, You know, we even see Jesus, right, felt fear in, in the garden before he was nailed to the cross. So we got to imagine that Paul, at minimum, had to feel something here. That he knew that my suffering is about to get a little bit more serious. You know, it's in these moments of suffering that we end up wrestling with the idea of, am I going to believe the scriptures or am I going to believe or am I going to base my faith on what's happening in front of me? We can see that Paul had that same argument here within his own mind of, hey, I see the suffering that's happening before me. How am I going to deal with this? Based on the promises of God or based on what I've seen right here? The experience that I'm in. You've got to place yourself in this situation. What kind of arguments would you be having with yourself? We even know that Paul's own words previously. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he writes to the church. For our momentary and light suffering is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Because we are not looking at what can be seen, but what cannot be seen. 
For what can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. And also Romans chapter 5, not only this, but we also rejoice in sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance character and character hope. These were Paul's own words that he wrote himself. And he's now having the opportunity to put those into practice. For us, it's one thing to say that God is going to be with me through all my sufferings. That's another thing actually to live that out. <clears throat> Even from, you know, small things from getting a traffic ticket. You're like, ah, oh, that's suffering. I'm dealing with it. Where is God in all of this? <laughs> or you fail a test. And you're like, oh, God was with me today. By the way, those are both your fault, but amen, suffering is suffering. (laughs) You know, over it's even something that, hey, you have to watch one of your parents battle cancer. It's one thing to be able to tell yourself, God is always going to protect me. He's always going to be there. The suffering has a purpose and a point. But it's in those moments that we really get to see where our faith is at. Now, everybody loves the theory of, theory of faith, don't we? But it's in those times when we get tested, when we really get to see how strong that theory is. It's so easy to say to somebody else, you got to have faith in those hard times, brother. But when it's you, it's a little bit harder. Because all of us like to praise God and to think that God is with us when good things happen. But suddenly when bad things happen, He's not there. If you're anything like myself, as Stu talked about earlier, we feel better with suffering when we see that it has a purpose. And I spent a lot of time looking for a purpose to my suffering. You know, when you have a purpose, suddenly the pain feels a little bit lighter. Feels a little bit better. It's kind of like working out or dieting, right? You're like, ah, I'm feeling the pain right now, but I know that there's going to be something produced. But what if your suffering doesn't have a purpose? You know, and you might be able to tell yourself, well, I'm suffering to help others. Like, okay. But what if you don't get a chance to help others? What if no one sees it? Maybe you're saying to yourself, man, I'm suffering so that God can shape and mold my character. I would say, I hope that he could shape and mold my character in a different way. We're searching for a greater purpose, you know, and maybe it is that, hey, you feel like I'm going to. Like I know for me, myself, is, hey, I'm going to talk to the masses and they're going to be inspired by my story. But what if that never happens? What if you leave here and you're like, ah, Jeff's just crazy. You can laugh at that, it's okay. Um, Thank you. Now, church, we can't bake a bank on our suffering serving a greater purpose. Or even a greater purpose that you're going to see. 
You know, I was in my grandmother's house the other week, and there's pictures on her mantle. Right? Pictures of all, you know, her dad, her grandfather, and I'm looking at them and I'm like, I don't know who these people are. It started me, it started getting me thinking about it. I was like, I have pictures of my own grand, my own grandfather, but my kids won't remember who he is at all. So he has now kind of drifted to a point where no one's going to know who he was. He did great things. He was a great guy. He was a good grandfather to me. But no one's going to remember him. In the same way, I like to think about my suffering in that way, right? Hey, I might be able to help one person, but in time, it's just going to fade. So I think to myself, what's the point of my suffering? Maybe there's not a purpose. You know, even uh, as Kelly and I get to work with the teens, I see teens suffer quite a bit. A lot of times because of the choices of their parents. And again, I have to ask myself, what's the point of that suffering? Do the teens need to suffer like that? Is there a point? Is there a purpose? You think about Acts as we're going to continue on. I want to put something before you that might, I'm sure already some of you are like, what in the world? Where is he going with this? No point, no purpose. This is depressing. (laughs) That's me, right? Bipolar depression. Now you know what it feels like. No. Um, <laughs> suffer with me. No. What is the point of Paul suffering and going to Rome here? Is there some big finale at the end of Acts? Just kind of fades off. What was the purpose of all of this? Did the uh, any of these um, officials become disciples? And change their whole, you know, nation and make them become disciples and listen to Jesus? No. In fact, I would argue that Paul was more successful going town to town. So what is the point point. of this suffering? I put before you, church, what if your suffering has no purpose, no point? Let's go to Job. Or another fun one. Alright. You know, I think that throughout the Bible, Job is one of the best examples of suffering. You know, in a matter of minutes, we're not going to go and read through everything, but he has everything taken away from him. Including all his animals, which would have been his wealth, his servants, which would have been part of his wealth, even his sons and daughters. And shortly after that, he is covered in sores. He has everything taken away. He is clearly suffering. And we see that the rest of the book is him and his friends trying to answer the question of, why am I suffering? And in, verse th- in chapter 38, God comes in a storm. We're going to go to Job chapter 40 here. God comes in a storm and he explains all of his power and that it is seen and unseen. And who are you, Job, to want to know why? I control the sunrise, the rains, all of the animals. I'm doing all of that and you don't even see it. Everything is under my control. And I love Job's response here in verse 4. He says, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? 
I put my hand over my mouth. Basically saying, I'm going to shut up. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. And then God's response to that, he goes on and expresses how powerful he is. We'll skip over to chapter 42 and verse 1. We'll start in verse 2. This is Job speaking. He says, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. Thwarted. You ask, who is that that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I do not understand. Things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. My ears have heard you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Stop right there. You know, for Job, he has this moment of, hey, I get it. God is in control. I have no right to question you on why I suffer. And I want you to notice here, as you were able to flip through, I challenge you to go back and read. God never uh, explains himself. Never explains himself. Never tells Job why. He just expresses how powerful and how big he is. You and I are not entitled to a reason of why we suffer. We're not entitled to demand that there is a purpose for our suffering. That somehow God owes it to us. Because if we look for that um, explanation or purpose, church, you're going to grow bitter. You know, God's response to you would be the same as Job. I take care of things that you don't even know about. Who are you to question me? And this is something that I've really had to wrestle with. Of how, who am I to demand from God a reason or a purpose for my suffering? Now we're going to turn it. We're going to end on a happy note. Sound good? And this is where I've landed. We see that Paul and Job have come to the same conclusion. They do it for the glory of God. Purely for the glory of God. We see Job's faithfulness to God. His love for God through his suffering. We see that Paul is going to preach to ruler after ruler. But it was only for God's glory. That our suffering is only about bringing God glory. That's right. And yes, if your glory, if your suffering happens to bring glory to God here on earth, amen. If it changes people, inspires people, amen. But that is not the purpose for your suffering. It is an offering, a sacrifice to God in heaven, showing him how great he is. That we look to Him and that we put our faith in Him. That is the purpose for your suffering. That is the purpose for my suffering. That we'll never understand the reason why, perhaps. We'll never get it. But the reason why we suffer is to bring glory to God. That's what our life is, isn't it, church? 
That we simply live to bring glory to God. That's what fuels and powers us and directs us in everything that we do. Not just in suffering, but in our joy. And the way that we serve and the way that we love people. The way that we even share our faith, that we deny ourselves. The reason why we pray is to bring glory to God. And as I said previously, is that that glory, you may never see that you're offering to God. But God sees it and he rejoices. He rejoices in your faithfulness and your love for him. You know, and as a disciple, having that purpose doesn't take the pain away, does it? But we see, as we sung earlier, is that we're no longer lost in our suffering. Stumbling around through the dark that we know that there is a purpose. And that purpose is purely to bring glory to God. And we know that through Christ and His death that we have, a, we have the Holy Spirit to give us comfort throughout our sufferings. We have the Holy Spirit to guide us. And to help us to see and to understand that it is not about us and what we are going to do with our suffering. But it's purely about serving God's purpose to glorify him. This week, my challenge for you, church, is for you to go out and think about in everything that you do is to bring glory to God. When you walk into school or you walk into your place of your um, into your job or even in the food line, you're there to bring glory to God. When you turn in that report or email your boss, it's to bring glory to God. When you do your homework, teens, it's to bring glory to God. Right. Glory to God. Even if it's not great. But you need to be good. Uh, when you share your faith, even when not, well, let me put this for you, even when you're watching TV with your kids and spending some great time with them, that's to bring glory to God. And as you suffer, take comfort in knowing that it's about bringing glory to God yeah. through your faithfulness. So church, as we go out this week, I want you to hold that in the back of your mind. That everything you do is for the glory of God. So church, let us bring glory to God. Thank you.